I had a very interesting experience this week where our garage door fell off the hinge. Uh, it was a little crisis where suddenly I had to try and manage a very heavy door with a little child around the corner. And after sort of stabilizing myself, I set out to try and fix it. Uh, and I had my, myself and prayer and started the process of trying to fix our garage door. And I got my toolbox and the only tool that I had available was a hammer. And the interesting thing, after a few minutes, uh, we managed to break the door even further. And it was in that moment that I realized that maybe um, it's either the tools or it's Clinton or it's prayer that isn't working. And I decided to call a friend and Joe Ward came to the rescue and two days later, Darren um, came to help me and the door was fixed. But it was interesting when Joe saw that the only tool that I had available was a hammer, that he realized that there was no hope in the world. And it sort of made me reflect just on the season that we're in. And I found myself this week just thinking about how many of our people are going through a really challenging time. Um, it's not just the two weeks, the three weeks that we thought it would be. It's past seven weeks now. And we're probably looking towards quite a number of months where COVID-19 would have impacted our lives. And, and I want to say that I've been thinking of you, praying for you, just trusting God that he would intervene in, in your life. But knowing uh, that COVID has, has challenged us, I started thinking about the tools that I had in my life that geared me for the season. And I realized that at some point, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful, grateful for what has transpired. This season has been a really good season for us as family. Just some of the moments where it's been a bit slower, a little bit more peaceful, has been so life-giving for us uh, as a family, for me uh, personally, just reflecting on what God is saying to us uh, as family and as church. I think uh, just so appreciative of the team that we've had during this season. So there's been a deep sense of gratitude, but also uh, the realization that this has been a challenge and realizing that, that seasons like this exposes or reveals the tools that you've sort of accumulated in life. And when we think about seasons of challenge, we need to realize that, that COVID is a difficult season for many people. But going through a difficult season doesn't guarantee that you will change at the end of this. See, change is very intentional. When we go through difficult seasons, we've got to be very intentional about what needs to happen. And we've began the process of just reflecting on, on change in difficult seasons and realized that for change to be a real thing, three things has to happen. Firstly, something has to stop. And I'm hoping by now you've had time to reflect on certain things, maybe in your character, your conduct, maybe the way that you've done life, that, that you've had the ability to hit the pause button. Because we know that the way life has been going isn't sustainable in the long run. So something has to stop. Something has to start. And we've been asking questions around your engagement with God, with others, and the street that you're living in. And trusting that something special, something new has started in this season. Just before I left to come and record the sermon, I had to leave our neighbors, which um, all of them have become really good friends in this season. Just connecting, seeing how the kids are engaging one another, realizing that our neighborhoods are great 
places for ministries, for, for ministry to take place. So something has to stop, something has to start, and something of a new understanding has to settle in your life, a new revelation, a new level of creativity that empowers you for the next season of life. Now that is where it becomes very difficult because change in its essence takes courage. And we know that all of us are, are creatures of comfort. We're prone to almost navigating back to, to normal. And I want to ask you to consider in this season things that you're grateful for, but also using this season of challenge to your advantage, where if we just settle in to, to normal, to comfort, there's a real opportunity that your hearts would grow cold and hard and that something of real value would not come out of this season. Well, thinking about this, I started reflecting on, on a little promise in Ezekiel 36 verse 27, where Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart and that's probably my desire at the end of this series that we would see more and more people respond to God with a, um, a tender a responsive heart that has the ability to to engage God to hear him to allow him to speak to us in a way that will shift and change the essence of who we are we're in week three of our series called Heart Failure. In week one, we, we said that it's very difficult to live from our hearts, especially if we've been conditioned to sort of formulate our behaviors according to what is socially acceptable. Where sometimes we filter our behaviors and we filter our personalities that we'd never really live from the, from the bottom of, of who we are. In week two, we said that, that busyness and hurry is something that really taxes and triggers a worn out, burnt out experience in life. And that there's something in this generation that almost responds to this um, attention deficit disorder generation where, where we're constantly challenged by things that, that, that captures our attention and our awareness. And we miss moments where God wants to, want, wants to be present in our life. We said last week, that it's so important to hear Christ, Christ's invitation to come to Him, to discover something of an unforced rhythm of grace, where the life that Christ has given us determines our pace, our rhythm, and just that sense of fullness and, and real life. Now today I want to chat about temptation and how temptation actually triggers the, the heart failure in so many people. Maybe you've gone through it. I know in my life I've had moments where, where temptation has really triggered a heart failure. But just before we dip into it, just listen to what Jesus says about our hearts. He says in John 7 verse 38, that anyone who believes in me may come and drink. This is another invitation that Jesus gives that anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow from your heart. Now that's my dream and my desire for all of us to come to that place. Just imagine that for a second 
where you live from this place where you know that everything that flows out of you is life-giving, actually brings, brings a sense of wholeness and peace, not just to you, but to those around you. And we all, all know that, that that's a struggle. We know the condition that so many people find themselves in, in terms of either uh, being worn out or burnt out, being stuck in mental illness, not realizing um, that there's better ways to encounter God in their lives. And we know that these are real challenges with real effects. But there's something beautiful in the promise that, that Jesus gives, that anyone who believes in me may come and rivers of living waters will flow from their hearts, their innermost being. It sort of brings us to a place where our hearts could either be a fountain or a volcano. The best people to ask is probably those sitting next to you this morning. Are you a fountain or are you a volcano? See, temptation causes our hearts to fail more than anything else in this world. I know I've got one of those little bad habits that in the evenings when I get home from from work, I sort of settle in um, to drink a cup of tea and I always have this little temptation. I love tea and biscuits at night, but I'm not sure which biscuit will fit the tea that was made because sometimes the tea is a little bit too sweet or just a little bit not maybe not sweet enough. So I want to pair the biscuit and the tea so that it fits the exact taste that I'm looking for. And more often than not, I'll find myself eating seven, eight, nine biscuits to, to just get to that taste that I want. And every time after I do that, I have that sense of Clinton, why? Because I know tomorrow morning I need to wake up and I've got a daughter and a wife, uh, well, actually two daughters that's going to ask me to come and train with them. And that's where I realized that temptation cost me, that I never thought about it in the moment. But it's when I need to do the rest of my life that I realize that temptation actually um, is designed for failure. And one of the things that we see right throughout Scripture is that temptation is designed to trigger guilt, shame, and pain reactions. And if we fall into that too deeply, it isolates us from God, sometimes from ourselves, and from others. So I want to maybe just... Make this point today that you need to realize that it's never just about the biscuit. There's always more at stake in times of temptation than what's right in front of you. See, temptation and your ability to resist temptation is directly connected to your trust relationship you have with your heavenly father. It's so interesting when we reflect back on Genesis 3 that the moment of temptation was the moment that Adam allowed doubt to, uh, to, to enter into his life. Doubt in the space where he sort of questioned God's intention and God's agenda with him. And that's what the enemy did. The enemy sowed doubt into Adam's life. And, life. and the moment that doubt takes shape, you are vulnerable for temptation and at the end run, temptation blinds our minds to reality. See, whenever temptation registers in our minds, its mission is to win our voice in order to win our vote. Its aim is to entice us to agree that its appeal is absolutely irresistible. 
When James speaks on temptation, he says, temptation comes from your desires. James 1 verse 14. He says, and these desires, they entice us and they drag us away. Just think about that for a moment. Isn't that what actually happens in your life? That when you are vulnerable for temptation, when you fall for temptation, isn't it that temptation drags you away and pulls you away from what God wants, from what you actually want in life? That temptation and uh, just failing in the moments of temptation actually drags you away from every life-giving relationship, every good thing that's in your life. That's why we need to realize that, that temptation is always asking questions uh, that is sort of focused towards the future. It wants to destroy your future, your relationships, and things that are, that are dear to you. Now, one of the biggest lies that temptation could sell you is that what you are facing at the moment is something quite unique and that there is no way out. See, we love to believe that, that what we are encountering is so unique that I am the only person that has ever been faced with this challenge. And one thing that temptation does so well is once it gets hold of your voice, you start voting for temptation and you realize that there's no way out of it. I wonder if any of you has ever felt that you lose focus in those times of temptation. That suddenly it seems as if there is just one option and that you can't do anything else but just give in. And right after you've failed, right after you've sort of surrendered to temptation, isn't it true that focus suddenly returns and it's as if you can see the decision, the decision you made in its full perspective? And you know that that's not what you want it to be but suddenly you're dealing with a sense of multiplied guilt. One of my favorite verses um, that we've unpacked uh, in one of our evening service series this, uh, this year is 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. Paul says that no testing or temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. That's something that I want you to realize, something that I want you to consider, that no temptation is unique to you, that it's common to everyone. But here's the reality. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. You've got what it takes, not because you're good, but because Christ is in you. And he says that, but with the testing, that God will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure. I'm wondering if you could maybe just take that verse for, for a moment and just think through it. I'm going to give you a few seconds. Just consider the implication in those moments of temptation. Just realize firstly that no testing has overtaken you that is, common, um, that is not common to everyone. Realize that in the moment of temptation, one of the biggest discoveries that you can make is that God is faithful, and he won't allow you to be tested beyond anything that is above your strength. One of the real realities that we need to consider is that when we feel that there's no way out in temptation, trust that what God is providing, that the faithfulness of God will provide a way out and he will provide the ability to endure. See, it's critical for us 
to manage those moments of temptation well. Because if we fail consistently in moments of temptation, chances are so good that you'll have this experience that your heart will fail you in the big things in life. One of the things that blesses me so much is just uh, the fact that we can consider that Jesus was tempted just like us. Uh, Jesus went through his own experience of temptation. In Matthew 3 verse 16 uh, to chapter 4 verse 1, it says that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Now this would have been one of the the most beautiful, one of the most profound moments ever. Where right after the baptism of Christ, there was this great uh, voice coming from heaven. We had this beautiful picture that something in the form of a dove, the Spirit of God, ascended down on Jesus and literally shined on him. Now, isn't that amazing? So good. And we've all had those experiences. And, and if you haven't, I believe that that's such a key part of our Christian walk. That experiencing the presence and the power of God is something that just brings uh, spiritual vigor and energy to our lives. But the next verse is actually quite amazing. Right after that, it says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, the son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So at the moment of Christ's baptism, God comes and he affirms his identity. This is my son. I am pleased with him. And I love him. And if we move on from there, it seems as if everything should then just move into that space of of Jesus entering his public ministry. But guess what? Something different shapes up. It says in chapter 4 verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now can I just comment on that? Not every wilderness experience is designed by the devil. (laughs) Not every wilderness experience is because you failed. Some wilderness experiences that we are entering is there to grow us, is there to mature us, is there to to create opportunities, opportunities for us to actually discover the reality of what God has placed inside of us. So we need to to find ourselves in those moments realizing that, that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And then the next part, to be tempted by the devil. Now, we know that God doesn't tempt. The devil tempts. So the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness, but the devil, the enemy, was the one that tempted him. So in moments where you feel like you're in a wilderness, it could very well be your own decision, your own failures, but just consider that those moments could also be orchestrated by God's Spirit leading you into a place of of just being alone, just allowing God to speak to you. There's so many great references right through the Bible where, where God uses wilderness experiences to shape the lives of individuals, the lives of, of a nation, so that they could hear His intention. But we need to be clear about it, that, it, that's it, that it's in those moments of, of isolation, those moments of aloneness where our needs becomes very evident. And it's in those moments that the enemy will, 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 will swoop in and will trigger 
and will orchestrate moments to tempt you to destroy your, your understanding of your identity and to destroy just a great understanding of your, of your purpose and what God has designed you for. See, temptation was a key part of the life of Christ. And he showed us how to deal with that. If you read the rest of chapter 4, you see that Jesus actually counted the devil with Scripture. So temptation was common in the life of Christ. He dealt with it by understanding who he was and understanding what the word was saying. And if it was evident in the life of Christ, I want to say it will be evident in your life. One of the things that Jesus taught us was in his prayer where he taught us how to pray. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So even in the prayer, Jesus taught us to to pray that, um, that in moments of temptation, we won't fail, but we will discover the way out. Now, there's a, re- there's a reason why we struggle in moments of temptation. And the good news is it's not because you're bad. The good news is someone else actually messed up, but it affected you. And that changes the good news into not so good news. In Romans 5 verse 17, Paul unpacks uh, just an incredible conversation where he sort of uh, just brings a difference between what happened to us in Adam and what happened to us in Christ. And just to think of it, we um, are living in a season in life where something that came from a bat, or that's what they say, actually affected every nation in this world. Flights have been canceled, economies has been paused, church services has stopped, you in your business um, has, uh, you've had the, um, just the, uh, the challenge that you had to navigate, people had to isolate at homes just because something of, just because of something that came from a bat. So we are prone to be affected by things that comes from somewhere that affects the entire human race. And that's exactly what happened in Adam. In Romans 5 verse 17, Paul says, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Let me just unpack that. If Adam sinned, we need to realize that the one act of Adam failing in the moment of temptation, that one act affected all of us. And because it affected all of us, death now reigns in our hearts. One of the things that we need to realize is that that in Adam's um, experience, the promise was that if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And after he ate of the tree, there were three key things that became a part of his life that sort of gives us an understanding of what death actually looks like. The first thing is Adam felt guilt. He suddenly realized that he did something wrong. And that's the first thing that will happen in your life. If you fail in moments of temptation, there's that, that sense of, of guilt, that sense that I've done something so wrong that will overwhelm you. And a lot of people fall stuck in moments where guilt actually just um, conditions their lives and it dilutes their lives and it almost disintegrates their lives. But more than guilt, Adam experienced something, something more. That guilt created the pathway for shame to take place. For shame to grab a hold of his identity and his being. And where guilt sort of defines a wrongness of doing, 
Shame comes in and it over, overwhelms us with the sense that there's something deeply wrong inside of me. And that's what Adam had to deal with. That's what temptation actually brings to you. It triggers guilt and shame. And the next part of it, it actually releases us into a life of pain, this hopeless reality of brokenness that our lives and the world that we're living in has no hope for the future. And some of you could be stuck in that, where you could be experiencing the guilt, the shame, and the pain that is affecting your heart at this moment. And, 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 and it could have triggered a heart failure where you've tried by willpower to, to, to get through this temptation. And you've set yourself up where um, you've, you've done things and you've tried things through willpower. And you realize that willpower in itself doesn't have the ability to transform those moments of temptation into victories. And after willpower doesn't succeed, we sort of start wavering. And after we start wavering, doubting, just becoming so hopeless in ourselves, we fall into the trap of worry. What if this temptation, what if this failing, what if this condition of the heart will set in? And what if that becomes my only reality? Well, the good news is we are not just affected by the failure of Adam. We've been affected by the success of Christ. Just listen to what Romans 5 verse 17 says. He says, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more? What happened to us in Christ far outweighs anything that happened to us in Adam. Now we've all had experience after experience where the effect of Adam's failure and Adam's sin and Adam's temptation has affected your life. And, and some of us have very, um, very bitter stories and painful stories that could define just the essence of what that looks like. But just listen to what Paul says. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, in those three statements, Paul actually, actually describes what happened to us because of the victory and the success of the cross. See, instead of guilt, we now have grace. This um, undeserved favor that our lives are not conditioned by our wrongdoing anymore. Our lives are conditioned by what Christ did right. The cross affected your life. The cross became a point in history that redefined your experience of God, your experience of life. The second thing that happened is instead of shame, we now receive a, um, an abundant provision of righteousness. This is more than you need. That something of that sense of wrongness that has defined you for so long has been transformed because of the cross that there is an absolute abundance of rightness, righteousness, a new position, a new creation. Something happened in you that completely transformed the essence of who you are. So that the Bible now refers to you that, that you are a new creation. A metamorphosis took place in your life. You have been completely transformed. And because of that, pain 
is no longer the only reality that we live in. There is an authority, a sense that we are sons and daughters of God. There is this posture of actually realizing that we live in this world, but we're not of this world. We are now of Christ. That for so long we've been affected and conditioned by the failure of Adam. And temptations and specifically moments of temptations were those little opportunities and sometimes big opportunities that brought a sense of destruction, of wrongness, of shame and pain into your life. But once we discover the reality of what Jesus did, we realize that temptation isn't necessarily a pathway to heart failure. That temptation is a pathway where we can discover that there's a new reference of life that brings a new conviction, a new authority that affirms our identity as sons and daughters of Christ. I want to conclude with a verse that really struck me as I was preparing. James 1 verse 12, James comes and he says, The one who endures temptation receives the crown of life. Just think about that for a moment. The one who endures temptation receives the crown of life. The Greek word for crown is the word Stephanus, which means a mark of royal rank, a wreath or a garland which was given as a prize to, to victors in public games. Where James says, the one who endures temptation receives this prize, this, this wreath, this garland, that you have succeeded, you, you've got success, not because of your willpower. See, life is a gift and a reward in God's economy. That it's in that moment that when you endure temptation, you receive the crown of life as a reward. Where when we, when we navigate moments of temptation by understanding who we are in Christ, just actually falling back on our identity and realizing that, that God has empowered us to either see the way out or to endure this temptation. The promise is that real life will flow and real life will follow. So just to conclude, that real life is something that comes from your innermost being. Just reflect back on the promise that Jesus gave in John 7, 38, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. May today be an invitation for you to come and drink of everything that's available in Christ. Because the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow from your heart. May you experience the fullness of God flowing from your hearts. That no longer will your hearts be a place where you experience that level of failure and failings. But may you experience through navigating seasons of temptation, the reality of God as a father providing a way out. God as a father giving you the ability to endure because of what Christ has done for you and in you and through you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We know, Lord, that, that you are the one that has shown your love 
in such an incredible way. That Romans 5 says, Lord, that while we were sinners, you loved us. You paid the price for us. You sacrificed your son for us and you brought us into your kingdom. I want to pray for people today, Lord, that has the sense in their hearts that they're a failure because of moments of temptation. Maybe those moments of temptation meant that they, that they uh, destroyed some key relationships in their lives or some key opportunities in their lives. Maybe moments of temptation destroyed their sense of who they were and it introduced this reference of guilt, shame and pain. I want to pray today, Lord, that people would realize that what happened to them in Adam is nothing compared to what happened to us in Christ. And that you would invite them to come and drink of everything that Jesus made available for them. I want to pray, Lord, that their hearts would be places of life where rivers of living water will flow from their innermost being, transforming them and the world that they're living in. In Jesus' name, amen.